Dad's Adventures. I'm Michael, this is episode two, and we're going to be taking a look at William T. Volman's 2015 novel, The Dying Grass. Before we tackle the book itself, I'd like to talk a little bit about Volman. Uh, he was born in 1959. He's um, he's written novels, he's written short stories, he does essays, um, he's been a war correspondent, a journalism, he does nonfiction, has an extensive bibliography, and I'm just going to go through some of the books that he's done. His first novel came out in 1987, You Bright and Risen Angels, which is uh, definitely uh, it's an interesting one. Maybe I'll, I'll reread it in a tackle it because it is an adventurous take on a storytelling uh, believe me it, it's really really interesting book for his first novel uh, the rainbow stories is a short story collection came out in 89 13 stories 13 epitaphs came out in 91 um, another collection of the atlas came out in 96 he won the national book award in 2005 for europe central and then uh, a few years ago, he put out Last Stories and Other Stories in 2014. Uh, he has some books that are in, coming out in the future that are apparently in the works. There's also his nonfiction work. Uh, in 1992, he put out a book called An Afghanistan Picture Show, or How I Saved the World, which tells the story about how he traveled to Afghanistan when the Russians were there fighting, um, thinking he was going to accomplish something, and it, 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 it's his story there. He did a 3,000 page plus seven volume, Rising Up, Rising Down, Some Thoughts on Violence, Freedom, Urgent Means, 2003. It's this massive, beautifully printed collection uh, from McSweeney's that came out. There's also a one volume abridged version that came out. Later on, he's written a book about Copernicus called Uncentering the Earth in 2006. He's written a book in 2007 called Poor People, uh, a wonderful little book uh, for a guy who writes really big books. These are some smaller books. Writing Toward Everywhere, he kind of shares his thoughts about America and traveling on the railroad um, across the country. That came out in 2008. Imperial came out in 2009. Um, and in, most recently in 2018, he had two volumes of the carbon ideologies. Uh, volume one was no immediate danger and volume two was no good alternative. Now, these books, this book that I'm looking at happens to be part of an ambitious undertaking he set out, start, he started doing in 1990. It's called the seven dream cycle. The Seven Dreams, a book of North American landscapes. Uh, it's, it's supposed to be seven books, like I said. In 1990, he put out volume one, The Ice Shirt, and that's about the Vikings uh, coming to North America. 92, he did Fathers and Crows. Uh, that's about Jesuit uh, missionaries in, in Canada and their interactions with Native Americans. Argyle came out in 2001, and it's about the Pocahontas and Captain John Smith. And then 
the rifles came actually came out. This volume six came out in 1994. He's not necessarily following a strict line of of for the series. He he's, he wasn't afraid to jump ahead and do six, volume six before he did volume three. And then the dying grass, the one we're looking at today, came out in 2015, like I've said. And there's at least two more books that are supposed to come out. Let's see. There's going to be the Poison Shirt. That's going to be Volume 4. And we're not really sure what its setting is going to be. There's there's a rumor that it might be about the Puritans in Rhode Island. Or <laughs> some people are thinking, or somewhere it's been said that it's even about Captain Cook's voyage to Hawaii. And then the Cloud Shirt is going to be Volume 7. And it's believed to be about the Navajo or the Hopi in Arizona. So that's something to look forward to. A really ambitious writer. He really cares about his books. He's willing to take less money in order to get his books released exactly how he wants it, rather than making cuts to make the books shorter. He'd rather make a deal where he gets paid less. So interesting character. So let's get into the book. Starting out, I'd like to quote from David Truer's review of the book for the Washington Post. And I just want to read just a little bit at the very end of it because he sums up eloquently exactly how I felt when I finished listening to the book. Uh, Volman has written an American tragedy with all the light and shadow, plains and mountains, vast distances and unforgiving climates, political, philosophical, emotional, physical of our nation. In a time and a market that seems determined to bleed the risk out of fiction, to give us compact narratives of our better angels in the manner of a photograph safely stowed in a locket, Bowman has written a masterpiece that delivers us to the far shore of our past, a past that is still at war with the ghosts of its decisions. The dying grass is brilliant and alive. And that completely sums up my personal feeling on it. It's not an easy book to read. Uh, I had it on my Kindle also, and I would read some in that when I had time. And then I, for the most part, I listened to it. And it takes a while because he has a really ambitious way of storytelling. Um, he inhabits both the military characters and real historical people and the Native American, the Nez Perce peoples and the settlers that were in the middle of this conflict. He somehow, like a magician or a sorcerer, is able to put himself and bring to life these people. It, it is a really, a really amazing work of art. Uh, it reads almost like poetry at times. He, the amount of research that had to have gone into this is staggering. It is a big book. Let's see, I believe, well, let's see, first of all, it, like I said, it came out in 2015. It was published by Viking, uh, and it was a 1,376 pages, and it had a, a cover price of $55. Bowman is famous for being unrelenting in putting out a book that exactly the way he wants it. He'll turn in these massive tomes, 
and the publishers will say, hey, let's cut out this, let's cut that, let's change this up. And he is always adamant that he will not change. He, I've heard him refer to his books as his children. He looks at them as he painstakingly has created and reared these pieces of work to life. And this book definitely is alive in, in, in so many ways. Uh, he really does transport you back to the 1870s and all its ugliness and brutality and beauty and poetry at the same time. He shows people as being people. There are no heroes in this book other than possibly Chief Joseph and a handful of other people that meant well but were out of sync with the rest of the culture at the time. It's a harsh book. It's a hard book. Um, neither side of the conflict is absolved from being shown for doing the evil that they did. I think the Nez Perce definitely do come off as more sympathetic characters. Um, the harshness of the military life in the United States Frontier Army or the Indian Service, as they repeatedly call it, is, uh, is shown uh, in great detail. It's truly magnificent. The book tells the tale of the attempt of General Oliver Otis Howard, who had served in the Civil War. In fact, many of the soldiers that were in under his command for this uh, seem to have also been had served in the Civil War. As he was attempted to make the Nez Perce tribe in Eastern Oregon to move to a smaller reservation, essentially breaking a treaty that they had signed previously where the people had been promised that they would never have to give up any more of their land. And of course, after it became known that this was happening, tensions arose, uh, some violence occurred against some settlers, and it became a long drawn out fighting campaign as the Dines Purse attempted to escape and the Indian Service Division under Howard attempted to catch and defeat them and get them to go uh, onto the reservation. They ended up, it took six months and 1,200 miles to end the, the conflict. Uh, it ended in the Montana Territory just south of the Canadian border. Some of the peoples of the Nez Perce did escape and went to live with Sitting Bull and the Sioux who were living in Canada at the time in the aftermath of the Battle of Little Bighorn, the Custer Massacre that had happened the previous year. Uh, throughout the book, he does a really good job of showing the, the just lack of information and lack of understanding that the Americans had concerning the way the Nez Perce culture was, the way they governed themselves, the way they worked and lived, uh, a complete disconnect between the reality throughout the, the entire campaign before the blue coats or the Bostons, as the Nez Perce called them, constantly believed that Heinmat Tuya Lakek that's the last time I'm going to try to say that, but that's often, that's how Chief Joseph is how we know him 
in, in, in our histories. They constantly blamed him for all the, all the violence, all the atrocities, everything happening. When in reality, uh, there were other leaders, Looking Glass, Leonel, a number of others that had voices that were the ones that had greater authority and were actually involved with 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 the 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 more aggressive militant efforts. Joseph is shown as a man who his main concern is uh, his people, his his wives and children, and the elderly, and making sure they were safe. He would speak out, trying to be a voice of reason, and get talked down. His bravery and uh, honor would be challenged. Uh, the young men that w wanted the, the, the had to carry the red blankets uh, would would mock him. Um, but in the end, basically, when no other leaders were alive anymore, he made the decision to go and and formally surrender. And that's where we get the famous speech about how I will fight no more forever. Bowman presents the inner thinking and thoughts of characters from Joseph's wives uh, to various other leaders of the Nez Perce. He shows you from the, the thoughts and opinions and statements and actions of just the basic infantrymen that were enlisted men that were, were fighting in the Indian service all the way up to General Howard himself the Christian general that his men mockingly called him. It, it's a really amazing book. It's a, it is a difficult book because he decided to write it in a, in an unconventional way. Uh, it almost, like I said, reads like poetry and that on the, t on the page he uses indentations to the left is going to be the most intimate point of view. It'll be the, like the main character who's he's inhabiting at that time, so you'll be hearing Chief Joseph's thoughts, or one of his wives' thoughts, or Howard's thoughts, or Wilkinson and Wood, who were people that were on the staff of Howard that were close to him. On a day-to-day -day basis, you'll see what they were thinking, how they were reacting to different things. Then another indentation will be a step away from that closeness to where it's more uh, somebody in the general area or somebody else's thoughts at the exact same time and what they were saying in a, a nearby area. And then another intentation will be even farther away. I think I heard him explain this in a way that he wanted to think of it as you would look at a stage, a piece of work on a, a theater, and you have the main players that you focus on close up, and then you have the side players a little bit farther back, and then there will be more in the back. And he he creates this, and it's a little bit difficult uh, listening and reading it to, to get the rhythm of it, but it's worth it because by the time you're done, it really does take you into this 19th century world, into the mindsets of both the native peoples and in the military that were sent to discipline and place them in subjugation on the reservation. It does go on quite long on some, like there's a whole section about Howard that goes back to basically his life story about how he had 
always been an outcast in the military because he upheld Christian values and his Christian ideals above the general norm. He had worked after the Civil War and establishing the Freedmen's Bureau uh, on behalf of helping the freed slaves try to elevate themselves. And that ended up being uh, a hard time for him because he had a lot of, there were a lot of people at that time that, that did not support what he was trying to do. Yet at the same time, he embraced his role as a, as a military man and believed in following his orders. His commanding officer over him was William Tecumseh Sherman, who he held in great reverence. Um, you, you really do learn a lot of great, there's so much detail in the book about every aspect of 19th century culture, both for the Americans and for the Nez Perce. It's, I, I, I can only say it is really truly a magnificent book and I encourage everybody to check it out if you have the inclination to kind of go into that world and learn what it was like and, and see how a master artist can take on such a subject and really put life into it. I'm not going to go on too long. This is going to be a brief episode. Uh, it's, a, it's a big book, but I can't really do justice by just going on and on about it. So I'm going to leave it at that. This is a brief one. I will say one more thing. In the near future, uh, we're going to be opening up the podcast to other contributors. I already have some people that are contemplating and trying to come up with some 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 recordings on their thoughts about different books. I I I would I'm happy to open up the possibility of letting you have an, anybody out there that wants to share their favorite their thoughts about their favorite book or why they their favorite author is their favorite author. Uh, watch the best book to film adaptation you've ever seen. What's the worst? What's your favorite comic book? What's your favorite comic book publishing company? Are you a fan of science fiction or fantasy? Do you hate science fiction or fantasy? Do you love Tolkien? Hey, if I can do this, you can too. Feel free to, to submit anything. All you have to do is email it uh, to 143podcasts at gmail.com. And I'd be happy to uh, take a look at it. And don't worry about any long pauses or gaps or misstatements. I'm happy to sit down and edit it and try to make it the way you would want it to sound if that makes any sense um don't don't worry about anything like that just get your thoughts recorded and i'll kind of clean it up a little bit and share it with others i'm sure people will love to see more than just me i'm looking forward to some other people uh, i have one person that's working taking a look at uh kurt vonnegut and is going to be sharing some thoughts, hopefully, in the near future. Uh, another person is going to be sharing some thoughts about the Piers Anthony book that I was talking about and the whole trilogy, I'm hoping, in the near future. He's been uh, thinking and trying to work up and get it done. So, like I said, if you have any thoughts that you want to share, please do. If it is as little as five minutes long, I'm happy to take multiple contributions 
and package them together in kind of an anthology book episode and let people see what you've got on your mind. And like I said, it does it could doesn't have to necessarily be about a certain book. Anything book related. Your favorite books when you were a kid, favorite books that you read in high school or college or how the how did you find tell me the story about when you did how you discovered a book. Has there ever been a book that you thought you would hate and ended up loving? Uh, I, I know there are books that I've tried to start before and just never could get into. And then when I finally did, when my, my mind was in the right place, I was able to sit down and uh, some of those books became some of my favorite books. I, some, some of the works of Cormac McCarthy have been like that for me. So yeah, we're going to wrap it up. This will be a short episode. I want to thank everybody for listening. I've had some very kind comments on the first episode and I look forward to doing more of these. Uh, if I get some more thoughts on this, I'll follow up and, and share a little bit more. But just know this, William T. Volman is a, is an interesting character. He is a great writer, and you should definitely check him out if, if it sounds like something that you'd be interested in. doesn't hurt to try, and just because you start a book and you don't like it, don't be one of those people that feels like you can't step away from it because you don't owe anything to the book. You owe it to yourself to find the find the best book that talks to you. I'd like to end with a quote that I found of Volman. He said, When I'm dying, I want to think I did what I felt was best for the words I was writing. This may mean at any time that I won't be publishable anymore. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. <laughs>